Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. First Corinthians chapter 15. I've, I've entitled this message today, If the Tomb is Not Empty. If the tomb is not empty, we're in trouble. First Corinthians chapter 15. I think Paul does an extraordinary job of of giving the narrative of the gospel and then proceeds to tell the results or the consequences of the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. The efficacy of his work. Hey, I worked that word in there. You don't know how how hard I had to work to get that word. I got a master's degree, but there's some words that just tangle your tongue. Beginning at verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, I hope that's not the case for anybody here today. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, and that's a reference to death. After that, he was seen by James, that's the brother of Jesus, and then by all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Now, I want to jump to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died in the Lord have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. After all that, that's depressing. But thank God Paul switches gears real fast. But, but now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Y'all feel the anointing in the Word? I love just reading the Word, y'all, because you can feel the anointing. Thank God. All right, sit down. Y'all been standing while I sit down. Christianity is based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is that gospel? Gospel means good news. So what's the good news? 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth, robed in flesh, lived a sinless life, and was crucified unjustly by Roman soldiers. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. His body was placed in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, 
He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father today to be the Savior of every person who is a sinner. He'll save you and wash your sins away. Now, that's the gospel. I could dismiss the service right now, and that's enough to hear the gospel. But I won't. I'll keep preaching because we need to understand some things. Because to many people, especially believers, the gospel is essentially the cross. It's the crucifixion of Jesus, and and it is, but it's more than that. The gospel includes the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Christianity depends completely on the real, physical resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity and no Christ of Christianity. I like to say that the empty tomb is exhibit A in the courtroom of the world, that the cross couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him. Sin, Satan, and death have been defeated. Salvation is readily available for everybody. And if a man or woman dies, they will live again because Jesus holds the keys of death and he is the resurrection and the life. Come on, if you feel like clapping right now, is a good time to give him praise. Hallelujah. The reality of the resurrection is crucial because if Jesus is not risen, if, if the tomb is not empty, then there are some things that we need to look at because there are some tremendously negative consequences of that. If the tomb is not empty, then everything we believe in the Bible is a lie. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, the Old Testament prophets, and yes, even Jesus himself are all liars. Every preacher of the gospel is a false witness, myself included. Every Christian has been horribly deceived. But let me put your mind at ease this morning. The Bible record is true. And the Bible record is dependable. I'm telling you today, you say, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to say that. Listen, sit down with me, and I'll take you through how the canon came about. And when you get through, you'll be amazed at this book this book, this ancient, this work of antiquity that has more manuscript evidence than any other work of antiquity and has been consistent 99% and the other 1% are grammatical errors. Now, how do you pull that off over a span of 1,500 years and then another 2,000? Old Testament prophets predicted the Messiah would rise from the dead. Jesus continually predicted his own resurrection. C.S. Lewis, who was a, an atheist who became an apologist of the faith, got saved, said that for Jesus to make such an outlandish claim that he must either be a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. I came here today to say that on that first Easter Sunday morning, he proved that he was Lord because he arose. Credible eyewitnesses saw Jesus in numerous post-resurrection appearances. They weren't hallucinating. They saw him, y'all. They encountered him, and each time they encountered him, they declared that everything the Bible record says about the gospel is true. Try to tell Mary Magdalene that none of it's real. Mary Magdalene was a wicked woman. I don't know what she got into, but she got into something in her life. I don't know if it was the black arts or what, Something in her life opened her soul up to demonic possession. She was possessed by seven demons. 
But she encountered Jesus, and Jesus cast those demons out and saved that woman's soul. Y'all, that's what the Lord will do. I don't care how bad you think you are and how low you are, and maybe you think you're beyond God's reach. I don't know if you got seven demons in you. That's pretty low, but even Jesus can reach you then. Isn't that wonderful? He can change anybody. And he changed her life, and she and these some other women, they begin to follow Jesus and support his ministry. They supported his ministry financially. Everywhere they went, they heard his words. They knew that they knew that they knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the person who could save you. They were there at Calvary. When Jesus was crucified, they watched him breathe his last. They followed Joseph and Nicodemus to the tomb and watched Joseph and Nicodemus wrap his body with spices in a shroud and place it in Nicodemus's tomb. They watched them roll the big two-ton stone over the door. And they came back three days later exactly to the same tomb. They knew exactly where it was. But when they got there, things had changed. The stone had been rolled back. Who rolls back a two-ton stone? Well, two angels were there, and an angel can do anything. They've got supernatural power. They heard the angel say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. They got excited. They were the ones to go back and tell the apostles he's alive he's alive Mary encountered him saw him she was the first person to see him fell at his feet grabbed him by the feet and worshiped him try to tell her that it didn't happen she'll tell you you're crazy because I've encountered him she like so many others saw him and heard him and touched him and later many of those gave their lives because of him. They were martyred for their faith. Let me tell you something. You don't die for a lie. I'm going to say that again. You don't die for a lie. But I've known people who will give their life for something that they absolutely believe is the truth. And people will try to get them to denounce. There have been people in modern times who have been persecuted by oppressive, tyrannical governments. And they've said to those people, those believers, if you will just denounce Jesus Christ then we'll let you go. And they said, I can't do it because he's real and he's alive and he's changed my life and their lives were lost. Sacrifice because they knew the truth. You don't give your life for a lie. If the tomb is not empty, your faith is futile. That's what Paul said. It's empty. It rings hollow. It's meaningless. No value to it. It's worthless. It's useless. It doesn't do you any good. We're wasting our time here this morning. Y'all could have just slept in and watched Sunday morning news shows. We're wasting our time. If the tomb is not empty, you believe a powerless gospel. You trust a dead Savior. You suffer needlessly for Jesus. You are a deceived individual who should be pitied for your poor ignorance. If the tomb is not empty, point three, you're still in your sins. Boy, that's a bad one. If Jesus is still dead. That means his death was unacceptable to the Father. That's the great thing about the resurrection is that it shows that the Father accepted the, the, the work of the Son for our redemption. So there is no, if the tomb is not empty, there is no once and for all eternal sacrifice for your sins. We love to sing the blood will never lose its power, but the blood lost its power. The blood never had any power. 
There is no mediator between God and men. There is no intercessor for you and the Father. There is no great high priest. There is no blood to cleanse you from your sins. There is no access to God, and you're stuck. You are stuck in your sins with no chance of being saved. But thank God that's not the case at all. I've never been to the Holy Land. Never seen the empty tomb. I've seen pictures of the empty tomb. I've known people who have gone there. I've talked to them. My own parents have been there. They've been to the empty tomb. They've been in it. They've seen it. Nobody's there. But you know, even though I haven't seen it for myself, I can tell you right now, I know he's not there. I know where he's at. He's right here. He's living inside of me. Oh, you say, well, you sound like a preacher. Well, that's what I do, so I guess I ought to sound like one. 51 years ago, in a kid's crusade, I talked with him, and he heard me. I asked him, forgive me of my sins, and he did it. He took up residence inside of me, and every day since then, we have been together. He saved me. He changed my life. I'm sorry, but I don't have a powerless Jesus. <laughs> I don't cling to a meaningless faith. He's real. Y'all, when I pray, he hears my prayers and answers them. You know, when I trust him, he always comes through for me. He's kept every promise he's ever made me. Uh, 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 every, every time that I've reached out to him, he's responded to me. I, I, I've experienced his glory. I've experienced his presence. I've experienced his power in my life, supernatural power. I've seen a miracle or two. I've been divinely healed of some things that doctors could not explain. Don't tell me he's not real. I don't have to go to an empty tomb. I sleep peacefully at night. I do. I don't go to bed worrying about dying in my sleep and ended up in hell. Matter of fact, I've got the confidence if I die in my sleep, I'm going to heaven. I don't have guilt and fear and shame that I have to live with and try to drink and numb and push down with extra or extracurricular activities. I don't have to worry about all that. All that's gone. Because when I got saved, Jesus took all that away. That's how I know he's real. And he gave me peace that I didn't have before. He gave me joy that never leaves me. I feel a love that has got to be real because it is transformative. I'm telling you today, I know he's real. My life is radically different from those I know who have no faith and who are still in their sins. Our lives are radically different. And I wouldn't trade Jesus for anything or everything in this world. If the cross is not empty, now this one will hit a little close to home. I mentioned earlier in the service, I'll repeat myself, reiterate, we are a spirit-filled church. We, we use the phrase Pentecostal. We believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We ask, yeah, we speak in, in tongues and heavenly languages. We believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not a cessationist. I don't think it ever ended. I know it hasn't because I'm still experiencing it. And no, we don't handle snakes. We shoot snakes, okay? You worried about that. Number one question I get asked when people say, what kind of church do you pastor? I'll say, Pentecost, do y'all handle snakes? <laughs> Not again. It's 
So let me just talk to us for just a second. If the tomb is not empty, Pentecost is a sham. It's not real. John the Baptist said of Jesus, you know, he was the forerunner. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He said, I'm baptizing you in water, the old muddy Jordan. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is the Holy Spirit baptizer. He's the one pouring out the Spirit on all flesh in the last days. Acts chapter 2 is when it happened to the early church. And I believe, no, I know it's been happening for 2,000 years. But if the tomb is not empty, Acts chapter 2 is a lie. It never happened. And every spirit-filled believer is a liar. But I'm so glad I can tell you today the truth. Jesus is alive. And he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2, and he's been pouring out his spirit ever since on his people who ask and believe. In Acts chapter 2, let me just let Peter make my point. The early church was filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had told them to wait for the promise of the Father. They didn't know what it was going to be. They didn't know what to expect. They just went into a prayer meeting and waited. They didn't know there was going to be a sound like of a rushing mighty wind. They didn't know there was going to appear a glorious ball of flaming, what seemed like flaming fire, and one was going to sit upon each of them. They didn't know they were going to speak in, in, in languages and in heavenly languages. They didn't know all that. They just prayed. But that day the promise not only was fulfilled but began its fulfillment. God's people received divine power to go out and preach the gospel in supernatural power and signs, miracles, and wonders followed them everywhere they went. And it started that day. Peter and the other disciples went outside and, and it was the Feast of Pentecost. There were literally thousands upon thousands of pilgrims who had converged on Jerusalem and they heard the sound of Pentecost. By the way, you don't need gimmicks you don't need novelties to get people to church. Just let the Lord show up and let God be God. Let people get saved and healed and delivered and lives get changed and the word will get out and people will say, let's go check out that church. I hear Jesus is there. And as the crowd gathered, Peter began to preach Jesus to them. But in the course of his preaching, listen to what he said, Acts 2, verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So listen to me. Pentecost validates the resurrection of Jesus. That's why I love being Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed that I'm Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed to tell people that I speak in tongues. I can speak a little French. I can speak a little Spanish. If I can do that, why can't I speak in a heavenly language? Come on, somebody. Edgar, you can just spit out Spanish because that's your native language. I wish I could. I can't. But that's okay. I can speak in a heavenly language. I've operated in the gifts of the Spirit. I've, I've done things. When I got through, I said I knew it wasn't me. It was God through me. I thought, how in the world did that just happen? Pentecost validates the resurrection because when Jesus is pouring out his spirit and people are getting baptized with the Holy Ghost, that means he's alive. So every time there's an operation of one of the gifts of the spirit, it says Jesus is alive. Every time somebody speaks in tongues, I know people make fun of us. I know some people think we're crazy. I don't really care what they think. 
But you know what? Every time we do, it screams Jesus is alive. Every time the power and the glory of God falls in this place, it says Jesus is alive. Every time there's a miracle, it says Jesus is alive. Every time there's a healing supernaturally, it says and testifies Jesus is alive. Here's my last point. If the tomb is not empty, then the dead in Christ are hopeless. Paul goes to great lengths to make this point, doesn't he? For the believer to know victory over death, Jesus had to first experience victory over death. If he failed, then you are doomed to eternal separation from God. If he failed, there is no bodily resurrection. There is no glorification. There is no eternal life. There is no incorruptibility or immortality. There is no heaven. If he failed, you'll never see your loved ones again who have died. If he failed, there is no hope. But I have good news for you because Jesus lives. Though death place its icy hold on you, you will live again. Because if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you will live again. John, in Revelation chapter 1, saw Jesus in his glorified risen state. Saw him like he had never seen him before. The guy who had traveled with him for three and a half years and was one of his disciples saw him in a way that floored him, literally. Here's what he said. He describes him this way. He was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. John saw him like he never, matter of fact, it, it blew him away. A lot of people say, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run up to Jesus and give him a big hug around his neck. Well, you might, but chances are good you might do like John. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And for people who make fun of folks that get prayed for sometimes and then they fall out, you know, there's a reason that happens because the natural encounters the supernatural and it's more than the natural can stand. Stick your finger in a, in a, in a, in a socket and stand there and let me see how you act. Because your body's not designed to handle electricity. And your body is not designed right now. That's why we got to get glorified one day. Right now, we can't handle that supernatural power. And sometimes the word glory means is kabod in the Hebrew. It means weight or heavy. And sometimes the glory and the weightiness of God comes on people that their knees buckle and they hit the floor. And that's what happened to John. Now, you just need to stop making fun of Pentecostals. By the way, it happened to Ezekiel. By the way, it happened to Daniel. By the way, it happened to all the Roman soldiers at the grave when Jesus walked out of the tomb. They fell like dead men. It happened to the soldier. Oh, I'm preaching now. I need to get back to my notes, don't I? I'm going Pentecostal on you. It happened, it, it happened to the crowd that came in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. They said, who do you, he said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, in your Bible it says, I am he, but he is italicized. The translators added it. The original just says, I am. I am is the covenant name of God. So he said, I am. And when he did, his glory went out. And the Bible says, every, read it. It's in the Gospels. Every one of them fell back on the ground. They fell out. They got themselves composed, and Jesus just stood there. 
Now, who are you looking for again? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he changed his wording the second time and then yielded himself so they could arrest him and take him off to be crucified. But he let him know in that one minute, that one little split second, you think you're in charge, but you're not. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down in three days. I'm going to pick it back up again. Come on, see y'all. I'm preaching Jesus today. He is God. He is Lord. What John saw wasn't as glorious as what he heard Jesus say. Though, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And he said, I have the keys of Hades and death. Keys represent authority in the Bible. He said, I've got authority over death. Now, when you read the Bible, you understand that prior to this event, Satan had power over death. Read it. It's in the Bible. Satan had the power of death. But Jesus came along and said, you've had it long enough. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and then they yielded themselves. They ceded their authority to you. They Sin came into the world, and then death entered into the world, and the devil was there, and the devil got authority over, over mankind with death. But Jesus said, I've taken care of that today by dying on the cross and coming out of the tomb. I've handled that, and, I, and we don't understand all this, but what we do know is at some point, while Jesus' physical body lay in the tomb, his spirit chased down the devil. I don't know if he had to chase him in the heart of the earth. I don't know if he had to chase him halfway across the galaxy, but he chased him down and snatched the keys from the devil and said, you've had these long enough, big boy, but your day is over. I'm going to take care of death from now on. That's why you don't have to fear death. That's why Paul said, oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? Nobody wants to die. We have something inside of this that fights to live. That's just within us. But everybody's going to die at some point. But I came here this morning to tell you, you don't have to worry about dying. You don't have to worry about the future because Jesus Christ holds the keys of death. And when you die the next split second so fast, you're not even going to know it. You're going to be back alive again. But this time, he's going to take you to heaven where you're going to be glorified and everything's going to be different forever and ever and ever. Come on, somebody. You ought to give God praise that Jesus has conquered death. Hallelujah. Thank God the tomb is empty. I usually tell this story at funerals, but I'm going to tell it today. When I was at Praise Cathedral, the church that this church was started out of in Greer, South Carolina, we had a member there. His name was Fred West. Fred, it's funny, his last name was West. Fred was a real cowboy. I mean, he was the real deal. Cowboy boots, jeans, cowboy belt, cowboy buckle, cowboy hat. He had a draw and he talked. I mean, he was the real deal. I mean, I've seen some people try to be a cowboy. He was it. I don't know how he ended up in Greer, South Carolina, but he was a cowboy. And Fred got cancer. Came to church, loved the Lord, served God, would worship, live for Jesus, loved you. But he got cancer, and that cancer took its toll on his body, and, and he knew that his days were numbered. If you talked to Fred and said, Fred, how are you handling all this? This is what he would say. This was his mantra. Well, let me tell you how I feel about it. Jesus is Lord on this side of the Jordan, and he's Lord on the other side of the Jordan. So if I'm on this side of the Jordan or the other side of the Jordan, it really doesn't matter. Everything's going to be all right. I said, come on, yeah, give him praise. That's good right there. You might want to grab a hold of that. 
I went to his house to visit him and have prayer with him, and Fred was low. We talked, we shared, we prayed. I wanted wanted to hear him say it one more time. I was a bit selfish. I said, Fred, before I go, I'm thinking, how can I prompt this man? I said, Fred, how's it going? I said, Fred, is he still Lord? He said, Preacher, he's Lord on this side of the Jordan. And he's Lord on the other side of the Jordan. So whether I'm on this side or the other side, it really doesn't matter. Everything's going to be all right. And I left there and I got in my car more blessed, I think, than he was. Just hearing this man fighting for his life with tremendous faith saying everything's going to be all right. I got in my car and left. I had no idea that that would be the last time I'd see Fred. The next morning we got a phone call that in the night Fred had slipped over the chilly Jordan waters. And was in the presence of the Lord. And I told that story at his funeral. And I I let the folks know everything's all right. Because he's Lord on this side and he's Lord on the other side. Dr. George Voris was one of my Bible professors. At at, uh, college Bible professors when I was in Bible college years ago. Unbelievable man. Oh, this guy was such a mighty man of God. Had two earned doctorates. Knew the Bible backwards, inside out, just unbelievable. You would sit, Dad and I went to visit him one time after we retired. We went to his house for three hours. We sat and talked theology for three hours. It was like sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. This guy was incredible. He died has gone on to be with the Lord. But I never, I'll never forget that in one of our classes he told this story. He took a group, led a group of tourists to the Holy Land, to Israel. And they went to the tomb. And the plan was to have communion. And so they had the elements, and he led them into that tomb, and there he led them in communion. He did not take his elements. When they finished, he said, I want to excuse you and ask you all to go outside the tomb and let me be in here by myself for just a little while. I want to take the elements by myself. And they said, okay, and they went out. Dr. Vora said he took the bread, and drank the juice, remembering the death of Jesus Christ. And then he thought about how Joseph and Nicodemus took his body into this sepulcher, into this cave, and laid it on that slab. And he said, then I began to think about how those days passed, Friday, Saturday, what the world was thinking, what the disciples were thinking, and then Sunday morning, it happened And the angels rolled back the stone, and Jesus walked out of there. And Dr. Vore said, at that moment, I decided to have a conversation with death. And I said, death, you thought you had him, didn't you? You thought you had him. You had him for a little while. Put your icy cold grip on his body. You held him for a little bit. But you didn't know that Sunday was coming, did you, death? You, You didn't know. You had no idea, did you? You didn't know that the angels were going to roll back the stone and that life was going to come back in that body and you were going to have to let go of him. You didn't know that. You you didn't know that he was going to come forth in resurrection power, did you, death? Um, You discovered the truth, didn't you, death? The angels rolled back the stone. He walked out and there wasn't one thing you could do about it. This tomb is empty and there's not one thing you can do about it. 
uh, he's alive today and you can't touch him. There's not one thing you can do about it, death. He has power over you. He's conquered you. I'm going to die. You're going to get me one day, but you won't have me long either because he's, he's conquered you for me and I'm coming out of the grave one day. And Dr. Vore said, I just started shouting and having myself a big time right there in the empty tomb of Jesus celebrating the fact that death lost and Jesus won the battle for every one of us. Hallelujah. I came here this morning to just remind you that the tomb is empty and he lives and he can change your life. He can revolutionize your life. I want to ask you to stand with me. The musicians are making their way. They're coming I want you to sing that last song again. What a beautiful name, Pastor Billy. I know we have a full house today. What I'd like to do is give an altar call and get you all down here because we do that a lot and just finish here. But I just think if we tried to do that today, some of you probably wouldn't even move hardly in the back. You wouldn't move very far. So can I turn this sanctuary into one big altar will you let me do that let's turn it into one big altar because God can hear you right where you're standing with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand preachers love to get numbers counts on Easter but I'm not doing that today I'm just giving you an opportunity God is giving you an opportunity that if you are here today and your heart is not right with the Lord, your life is not right, you're in sin, come on, we don't have to make bones about it. If you leave here today the way you came in, you're full of guilt, fear, and shame, and let me just say it, you're on your way to hell. I don't know how you go to bed with that every night. But you're some reason you're content with living in rebellion and independence and in sin you have been confronted with the good news that you don't have to live that way, that believe it or not, there's a better option. I've talked to, I've talked to people who got saved, and they said, you know, before I got saved, I looked at you Christians and thought y'all were weird. But he said, now that I've gotten saved, sinners, we, we were the weird ones. I mean, drinking all night till you're so drunk and sick that you grab a toilet and puke in it for hours on end the next morning is normal? No thank you. When you start thinking about it, it's not the life we were designed to live. But the Lord will save you. There's power in his name that if you'll just believe what I preach today, that's all you have to do. Jesus did the work for you. He died in your place. He's conquered sin. If you'll just ask him to forgive you and trust him and give your life to him. Listen, none of this where you just pray and then, all right, well, I feel better. No, this is a radical transformation where you give your life to Jesus. And you, you repent. You leave your life of sin. You turn from it. Don't go back to it. That's your opportunity. Maybe you're backslid. You used to serve the Lord, and for whatever reason, you went back into sin. What a great day to come home on Easter Sunday. When I'm talking about coming home, I'm talking about coming back home to Jesus. What a great day. I know I've got you with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you, Here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead us in the sinner's prayer. This is a way where I can help you, give you the words to say. Some people struggle with that. 
but what matters is that you have faith. I'm, I'll give you the words. You say them, but you, you say them to the Lord. And you trust the Lord. I had a man one time that was in here. We said the sinner's prayer in the first half. He was just saying it to saying it. Halfway through, he realized what he was saying, and he meant the rest of it, and God saved him that day. You have faith. Lean on God's grace. Come on, everybody. Let's everybody do this. Everybody. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. You already know that. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please change my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. You're God. That wasn't hard for you. And you did it for me. And I'm so grateful. So I ask you to forgive me on that basis. Take my sins away. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I accept you now as my Savior and my Lord. You're going to be the leader. I'll do what you want. I repent of my sins. From this day forward, I'm not going back. I'm going to live for you. So thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for accepting me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every head up, every eye open. If you prayed that prayer today and you were a sinner and you meant it, guess what? You're not a sinner anymore. You're a child of God. Now I want you to go live like it. Go live like it. Start walking in fellowship, relationship with the Lord. Your whole life just changed, and it is awesome. Might get rough sometimes. Don't let anybody fool you that because you get saved, you're never going to have hard times. You'll have hard times. Everybody goes through hard times, but now you're standing on a rock. Now you got somebody to help you. And now you can help him by being a witness. And you can serve him and do things. You can give your life for him. It's a wonderful thing. Here's the other thing I want to do. They're going to sing. I just felt like I wanted to close out this service this way. In a, in a crowd this size, I know there have to be many needs. There have got to be needs. People need healing. People need to be delivered. People need miracles. There's got to be some folks in here that are struggling with some situations. They need answers. They need resources. Spiritually, maybe you're struggling. This is the atmosphere and the time when that Jesus who is alive can meet you at your point of need. There really is power in that name. What a powerful name it is. So they're going to start singing. And what I want you to do, if you want to lift your hands or whatever you want to do, I, I want you to start praying. Everybody in this house. Whatever needs in your life. Maybe you know somebody that's having a need. Pray for them. Maybe they're here this morning. You just want to reach over and put your hand on their shoulder and pray with them this morning. But I want I want you to leave on Easter Sunday saying, I got a touch from that living Jesus. That living Jesus did something in my life. Those of you who are watching online, he can touch you right there where you are. If you're at home, on vacation, wherever you are, he can touch you, right? He knows where you are. He knows what you need. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that in the next few minutes that, God, you'll be God and you'll do what you alone can do. I preach the word now. Lord, it's just a matter of us having faith. I yield the floor to you, God. It's always been yours anyway. <laughs> I just want you to be God, and I want people to experience a living Savior. Touch their hearts and lives right now in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. 
For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.